We're going to be working our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 25. It's on page 1154 in the church Bible, if you'd like to follow. And we're continuing our series in the book of Corinthians, in the middle of what are three chapters that are very much together, chapters 12, 13, and 14, looking at spiritual gifts that should be used in the context of incredible, non-self-seeking, non-rude, non-easily angered, non-keeping a record of wrongs, love. (laughs) Lots of love covering over the way we do everything around us. And so I'll read bits of the passage and comment on it as we go through. And there the first bit picks up on where Dennis was taking us last week. So follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him or her. They utter mysteries with their spirit. But to everyone who prophesies, they speak to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the whole church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so the whole church may be edified. Now, this may be utterly familiar to you or a complete mystery. Uh, In my role at New Wine, what we've discovered there is that We keep teaching people the stuff that they've learned again and again on the Holy Spirit Day on Alpha, um, but don't help people progress much further and deeper into these things. And that's sort of a constant feedback. So my hope in this brief talk is to both give you a quick way into this, but also to see if we can push further in understanding how to use prophecy and tongues in worship and in our personal life. So I'm not going to assume we're starting from absolutely nowhere, but I will give the definitions to begin with and the reason for looking at this. Please note in this chapter, it begins by saying, eagerly desire spiritual gifts or spiritual graces, especially the gift of prophecy. And that refrain, eagerly desire, comes three times in 1 Corinthians this is a really important thing for you. Why is it an important thing for you? Well, he explains it in verse 5. It's really important not for you personally as an individual only, but so that the whole church can be edified. Now, that word edified has repeated itself um, three times in a passage we've just looked at, and it's really, really important. Edified means built up. Now, think about the conversations that you have in any context that you've been in. Uh, Maybe a workplace, maybe a church, maybe a social group, maybe where you live. Uh, Some conversations you can remember build you up, and some tear you down. And some are just flat, and you're just like, oh, I've lost my energy. (laughs) Prophecy is of the order of conversation that builds you up. Now, This is where we have to pay some attention because prophetic people, people who can speak forward what God's saying, who see in their eyes something that isn't yet happening, who who want to talk about what God wants to do, if they're operating out of what you might call their shadow side, can do anything but build people up. So someone walks into a room and they're like, I can see the problem here. I know what it should be like. I can see this thing. And they spew that out over a group of people. 
It may be accurate in the diagnostic, but it's not prophecy in the delivery. You understand? So someone may be even accurately diagnosing what's going wrong, but unless it comforts, strengthens, builds up, encourages, it doesn't fit into the category of what the Apostle Paul calls prophecy. So you may be gloriously insightful about what's wrong with the vicar, the, <laughs> the church, the family, your family, everything around you, the culture around you. But unless you're strengthening, comforting, building up, edifying, you are not operating in the spiritual grace or gift of prophecy. And you go, oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> like, well, that's what it says here. It's crystal clear. What would make the difference what would take you, if you've got all these insights that you're just sort of holding on to, I've got to let someone know this. What would change from this sort of disaster spewer to an encourager? What would change is the first words of this passage. Follow the way of love. Do you love the person or the church or the workplace or the family that you're speaking into? Are you speaking out of love? Because if you're prophesying out of love, inevitably what you've discerned as a critical thing comes out in such a way as it strengthens and courage builds up. Let me give you an example from, from my own life this week. Um, I was away with New Wine Leadership and we were being prayed for and I really needed prayer because I was processing the most difficult pastoral experience I've been through that I was... At last week, a funeral I was doing for an eight-year-old boy. I was processing that in a group and grieving. And, uh, and almost from nowhere, a person who's uh, becoming a good friend of mine said, Richard, um, I see you like a very long test tube. Um, you're, you're deep. Um, but at the bottom of the test tube, there's still some murk. And God wants to get the murk out of the test tube, and you can't reach down to it yourself. And then the next person said, I'm thinking about um, the Heineken advert, the old beer advert, um, and it used to say it refreshes the parts other beers can't reach. But what I'm seeing is really clean water, um, the water of the Spirit, and it's cleaning it, all of this out. Um, and you may not know this about me, but over the last um, few weeks, I've been deliberately not drinking alcohol in the lead-up to what we're doing with the church tomorrow and the, the cycle I'm going on, and I felt very much from God, actually, cut this out. And as they prayed into me and had this picture, that maybe there's something murky at the bottom, um, and then the clean water replacing the Heineken, it's like, God, this is hard, it's challenging, it's insightful, it's speaking into things that they shouldn't know about humanly, but it's getting me and actually, it's encouraging me, strengthening me, and building me up, uh, and pushing me on. And that is the role of the revelatory gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I now have to, partly I'm, I'm saying this out loud, because it helps me process what I do with that. Do I get to the end of my cycle and I go, right, I'm back to drinking? Um, or do I go, actually, John Wesley gave up drinking, and there was a great revival in the 18th century. <laughs> um, maybe that's where God's calling me. I'm discerning this thing. Do you see how the prophecy works? And another one said something that related to something that had been said prophetically at the six o'clock service. So I knew I was in a context where words that I'd heard a while ago 
were being reset over my life. And I felt safe. I was loved. I was cared for. And it moved me on. That's what prophecy does. Courage strengthens, builds up, moves you on. It's direct revelation from God. Good prophecy is rarely the just the sort of random pat on the back, um, you're nice and God loves you. I see a waterfall, I see a flower, and God's going to do wonderful things in your life. That's normally just saying itchy things that people want to hear. Itchy ears want to hear nice things about themselves. It's like real compliments. A real compliment affirms something in you that that person's genuinely seen. Um, It doesn't disguise the rest of it. And that is one of the greatest things I've discovered in knowing the Holy Spirit of the living God is a sense of being really known and yet really loved. Isn't that what we all want, really? A sense that God really knows me and really loves me, even though he can see into the murky bits of my heart. Now, I don't know what's at the bottom of your test tube, if you have a test tube. Uh, whether there's a bit of murk in there or whether it's all clean or whether there's quite a lot of murk in there at the moment. But isn't it amazing to think that God can see right into us, put his finger on something, uh, and still affirm us and love us, but want us to move on and change. That's why one of our values as a church is that we're realistic people. We're realistic about our limitation, our flaws, our faults. We're humble, saying we need him, and we long for more of it. Okay, so that's prophecy. And I'd love to encourage you to get better as a church at prophesying. One of the the teachers into the prophetic ministry said that often it takes 25 years to make a true prophet, moving from that point of just discerning God's voice a little bit, to pressing in on it, to being courageous in speaking things out, to being used to being a conduit of God's words to other people. And one of the journeys into being better at prophecy It's not going to more and more seminars on it. It's the journey into loving people. If you want a prophetic word for someone, two things you need to do really. One is to get to know the Bible so that the Holy Spirit can remind you of stuff in the scripture. And the other is to pray that God loves that person through you. God, give me a love for the person in front of me. And as you pour your love for them into my heart, help me understand them as you see them and help me speak comforting, encouraging, strengthening edifying words to them that come from you to them. That makes sense? Help me to love the person in front of me and then speak through me to them out of your love for them. That's how you get to Prophecy 201 as opposed to just Prophecy 101. It's also how you get to Prophecy 301, 401, 501, 601, 701, 801, 901 and 1001. Love. Love them more and ask eagerly desire for the gift of prophecy for them. It makes all the difference in the world. Okay, so what of tongues? Now, tongues um, made sense to me, again, just this morning when someone was describing to me her experience um, on the Holy Spirit Day here at Christchurch just uh, a week or so ago. She's someone that I prayed with to become a Christian uh, several months ago when she just wandered in in a toddler group, lots of questions, and God put a seed into her heart as she said, please come into my life. But that seed's been germinating underground, often hidden over quite a while. Uh, and she came on the Alpha Holy Spirit Day, and the seed burst through the soil. And one of the, the ways that it burst through the soil was this. 
there was a moment where she was just like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an intelligent, articulate person who sees the problems and flaws in things. Um, I'm not going to give in to this Christianity thing easily. I'm not going to let it take hold of me when I've got all these big questions. And uh, got to the end of the morning, nothing had happened for her or anyone else. And Dennis was at his wit's end, didn't know what to do, couldn't drum anything up. So he got everyone to stand up and just said, um, put your hand out in front of you. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And he said, come Holy Spirit. Really, uh, he was, as he was describing to me this morning, not so much in faith as in desperation <laughs> that God would do something finally for these people who he loved and wanted to see transformation. Um, and as he prayed for it, one of the other brand new Christians put a hand on the shoulder of this dear lady and prayed for her with an increasing fluency. And as she was being prayed for, she discovered that her eyelids were flittering in a way that she couldn't have done herself. And God was on her. Now, she felt exposed because she thought everyone could see her doing this. But actually, no one could. And she said, I've got to tell people what's going on. So then she started to articulate in English what was going on. And as she talked it through, what had happened to her is that God had done something in her and for her and through her that bypassed her normal cognitive processes and proved to her that he was at work. And she said, it was like this. The Holy Spirit was on me, and it was powerful, and I sort of wanted to get out from under it because I was scared of how powerful it was. So I deliberately pulled myself out from under the power of the Spirit. But as soon as I got out from it, I wanted to go back in because it was good as well as powerful. So I went back into the experience. And that is part of the glory and joy of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's ministry. It's often said that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman or a gentle lady. He's gentle with us. He doesn't impose on us. It's not a takeover like you see in the sort of demonic possessions of the horror movies. When the Spirit's on you, you can go with the Spirit you can resist the Spirit, you can grieve the Spirit, you can push the Spirit away, but you can go with what the Spirit's doing in you. And when you say yes and amen to the Spirit in, in your heart, in your belly, in your inner being, he backs it and goes with it for you. And so she had this experience where God overwhelmed her, but she could be underwhelmed when she wanted to be and overwhelmed again when she wanted to be. And that is very, very, very similar to what happens to people when they have the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is a language that God enables you to speak in through the Spirit. As you see in the previous chapter, it can be an angelic language or a human language, but it's under the control of the person speaking. So some people pray for the gift of tongues, and then they sit here with their mouth closed and go, I haven't got the gift of tongues. And our experience is that actually to help them to activate the gift that's been given to them, you have to help them to start moving their mouth. So you just say, well, start speaking something out. Start singing something out. When I first prayed in tongues, it was with a hymn book in front of me. I was trying to sing a song that was dear to me, but because of sin in my life, I had felt unable to sing up to that point. And as I sung that song in English, I found that I was speaking in another language and singing in another language and it was beautiful and I don't sing beautifully it was, it was a wonderful thing to happen um, so if you want the gift of tongues you ask for it but then you activate the motors in your tongue <laughs> and see what comes out from it but you activate it 
in this place of love and in a place of worship. And you say, praise you, God. And see what comes out. You think, wow, that sounded lovely. I don't know where that came from. But inside me, it's blessing me. And what does it do? It says, you're uttering mysteries with your spirit. You're not speaking to men, but to God. And, oh, look, it it edifies yourself. It edifies yourself. Now, Paul, in verses 6 through uh, 17, tells us more about this. So let's look at that briefly. Uh, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word or instruction? You can imagine the background. People have got the hang of this gift of tongues and they want to show it off. Like, I can do the kiramaramajigiriyama and someone else is going badamaniyamanama and kiramaniyama and they're all doing it all at once going, look, I'm supernatural. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, that's not helping anyone else. You're having a great praise fest on your own. But it's not helping people that you're all doing this all at once with no control. Uh, he says, even in the case of lifeless things, this is verse 7 that makes sounds like a flute or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Or a trumpet, if it doesn't sound a clear call, how are you going to get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll be just speaking into the air. Now, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If I do not grasp the meaning of what someone said to me, I'm a foreigner to that speaker, and he's a foreigner to me. So it's with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. You're saying, it's silly coming together and you're screaming and shouting in tongues at the same time. Um, It's all trying to fight for attention because the other people's attention that you're trying to seek, they can't understand what you're saying. Um, So don't fight for attention like that. Focus on the things that will build people up, like, like uh, explaining the scriptures, like prophecy. Um, build the church. Verse 13, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. It's not saying don't speak in tongues in the worship services. Just pray that there'll be revelation about what you're saying. Now, why is this? Why not just go straight to the revelation? My uh, experience of this is that sometimes we need to know that there is a supernatural God. (laughs) Have you ever sort of clocked your faith levels over time? Sometimes higher, sometimes lower, a sort of a graph ebbing and waning. I can remember being part of a charismatic church as a teenager and being really disturbed by what was a liturgical moment in the service. Um, And what would happen after the sermon, there would be a response time. And oftentimes, someone would speak out in what was another language, a tongue. Um, And then it would feel to me like there was always someone who was normally on the leadership team who would come and give what they said was an interpretation. But somewhere in my spirit, it didn't feel like the interpretation. It felt like a slightly scared leader trying to make sense of a freaky moment with a a sort of a, a fairly bland, nice commentary on it. I was really disturbed by this as a 19-year-old. Um, and so I get to a huge conference for teenagers at Stony Bible Week, and someone went up the front and um, shouted out this, this tongue. This is 21 years ago, uh, this summer. Um, 
and from, from the stage. And I was there in the middle of this room of teenagers. And I knew in my deepest being, in my belly, that what was being said was, all my fountains are in you, which is the words of a psalm. All my fountains are in you. Everything that is good, life-giving in me, comes from you. It's all in you. And I found myself at the top of my voice in this room of over a thousand young people bellowing out, all my fountains are in you. And from there, the words just kept coming out. It just carried on spilling out. And it was an interpretation, I believe an utterly accurate interpretation of the tongue. Now, how do I know? Because it's still edifying me 21 years later. <laughs> I'm telling you about it. And also, it's the exact words of Scripture. So it's an encouragement that is reinforced by being true to God's Word. Immensely encouraging to me uh, to know there's a supernatural God. So prophecy shows me there's a supernatural God because he reveals the secrets of my heart, puts his finger on things others can't, but does it in a loving, comforting, strengthening, edifying way. And tongues interpreted go, wow, there's a supernatural God. He can do all sorts of things. He is incredible. He is amazing. And um, that's why tongues 201, 301, 401, 501 is pray for the interpretation. Because when God speaks to you in that way, it's tangibly exciting. There's a palpable tension in the air. Is there going to be an interpretation? What's God saying? Why did he disturb us in that way? Why did he bring this about? And whenever I've seen that happen... It's been very impactful, not one you just drum up or want to do to show off, but very impactful for us. Now, he explains a bit more about tongues here, which is very helpful for us to be aware of, um, whatever our different experiences or graces. He says, look, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That's really interesting, isn't it? In other words, some of the spiritual experiences you can have, like the dear lady we were talking about on the Alpha Day, or like the person speaking in tongues, they're happening outside that bit of your brain which is sort of in control of all the thought processes. There's another part of you, your spirit, which is engaging with God, quite apart from all those noises in your head which are often keeping you from God. It's like a bypass route that says, okay, so you think you've got a big brain, <laughs> But my brain is bigger than the whole universe, and your brain is actually the size of a half bag of sugar. <laughs> Do you really think you can outthink God? Let's connect spirit to spirit instead for a moment. And connecting spirit to spirit with God is a wonderfully glorious thing, because there's no limitations there. God is spirit, and you have spirit in you. And they can connect together like, a, like an electronic fuse. It just sips you up to somewhere else. An unfruitful mind is a dangerous thing, isn't it? Because an unfruitful mind, anything could be going on there. You could be thinking pornographic thoughts. You could be having all sorts of things going on in your, in your mind. So what do you do with your mind? Well, he says, well, pray with your mind at the same time. So on the one hand, you're, um, and that's just coming out of your spirit. You're not having to think about it. On the other hand, you're going, God, I love you. I praise you. I worship you. Thank you for who you are. You're my friend with your mind at the same time. I love you, Lord. You're wonderful. You're glorious. I praise you. And the two come together with this extraordinary fusion of, do you remember how we're supposed to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul? It brings all the loves together into one place. And you're like, yes, I love you, Lord. Utter adoration. Have you ever sung that song? 
where it talks about when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less ways to sing his praise than when we first began. Or the other one that talks about being lost in wonder, love and praise. Have you ever thought about your experience of worship and going, I don't think I could keep that going on for a day, let alone a thousand days. I've never been lost in wonder, love and praise. Well, this is lost in wonder, love and praise. And time stands still and you're like, oh, I could keep doing that for ages. I've bypassed just my human mind and activated something far deeper, far more core, but my mind's picking it up as well. Um, I will sing with my spirit. I'll also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who don't understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he doesn't know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks, but the other one's not edified, which is the point he's already made. And so he says to them, look, I, Paul, speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm not dissing tongues. I don't want to put tongues down or in a little tiny box here. As an apostle, this is a big gift for me. I use it all the time. In one of the books he talks about saying, I'm always praying in the Spirit on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. You can imagine Paul walking along between Antioch and Damascus, just praying in tongues. It's hard to pray for a long time, isn't it? When you're praying in tongues, you can pray forever. You're not exercising the, the knackered bit of your brain. It just keeps coming out. But in the church, even though I speak in tongues more than all of you, it would be better if I speak five intelligible words than just stand up and do a talk in tongues <laughs> for 10,000 words. Of course. It's obvious when you think about it, isn't it? And then he says, be like infants uh, to evil, but in thinking, be adults. And it explains that briefly there. Um, and then he says this, which is, um, is a bit of an enigma at first reading, verse 22. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. Um, and, um, and it's not self-evident from the passage we've had so far why that should be. Um, but if you think about the experience of the person I was describing on Alpha this week, um, she was there going, I can't fathom this. I can't make sense of this. Um, my head's not catching up with my questions. Um, and I can't say I'm a believer. I can't say I'm all in on this. Then suddenly she has this experience that shows her that God isn't just inside her half a bag of sugar brain, but his spirit and far bigger than that. And then she's like, whoa, I've got this now. Prophecy is for believers, not for unbelievers. Uh, and we've already talked about how prophecy comforts, encourages, edifies, builds up. Now, I mean, the reality is that Jesus used what we might call a prophetic ministry in his recruitment of people who weren't yet Christians. Do you remember the woman by the well? Uh, she's sitting there, and uh, she says, I've got no husband. And he says to her, prophetically, you're right when you say you've got no husband. The man you're with is, is your sixth one. Uh, you know, Mary's sixth time, this is the sixth one. That's a prophetic revelation Jesus uses. Or when he sees Nathaniel under a tree, he says, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel's like, how did you know that? It was a prophetic revelation that gave Jesus the wisdom into that. So prophecy works with unbelievers, absolutely. It's a great way of talking to people and opening doors for them. He doesn't go, um, God revealed to me I saw you under a tree, or God revealed to me that you've got six husbands. He just drops in normally into conversations. It's not over-religiousized in Jesus' use. But this is how Paul explains it in 23, 24, 25. 
If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, they're just going to get you out of your mind. Um, But if an unbeliever or someone comes in uh, who doesn't understand, comes in, everyone's prophesying, he'll be convinced by all that he's a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he'll fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you, which feels like a reversal of verse 22. How, how I've seen this work out with people is it has been in different ways. Um, if the tongues is ordered, which is what we'll look at next week, what people come into isn't a cacophony, um, but what you could call in musical terms a polyphony. A cacophony is when you've got loads of noises happening, brrr, and they're, they're sort of balancing each other out because they're coming on different chords or, or whatever. A polyphony is when there's many noises, but they come together beautifully. Now, that's how orchestral music works, isn't it? I mean, if, if everyone was just blowing their horns and random, not, not good. But it's a polyphony when a conductor conducts from a score and everyone knows their part. That's what the Holy Spirit does when people sing together in tongues. You know, Ollie starts piping out on his alto. Um, Dennis gets his descant going. Faye comes in with a sort of a little drum beady sort of drum and bass thing in the background coming in. Emily sort of pipes up with something. And it's a beautiful noise that we couldn't have orchestrated ourselves. It just comes in as a polyphonic noise, a gorgeous noise. You're like, whoa, what's going on there? I love that. Don't know what you're saying, but I love the atmosphere that's being created. But the prophecy, if someone comes in and something happens like what was happening to, to me that I described at the beginning of this talk, uh, it can be life-changing. Let me tell you, as I close, just about my friend Dan. Um, Dan was uh, a reckless teenage youth, had a broken family, um, very, very angry, cross, very bright, um, uh, but uh, lost his way. Went into a church in Walsall in the West Midlands uh, and the pastor at the front looked at him at the back and said, young man, and it went, one, two, three. Um, three complete insights into his life. Dan, this hardened, young, uh, older teenager, just broke down. It's like, whoa, how did you know that about me? And uh, gave his life to God ever since. Um, Dan and I became really close friends. He got off all the drugs and other things that he had been on uh, and uh, ended up marrying a wonderful Christian girl, moving out to the States. And uh, we did a mission together in India and he did Bible college in Bombay. But it all came because the pastor exercised the gift of prophecy. So this is how God sees you. We want to be known. Did you notice in chapter 13, it says, when perfection comes, we will be fully known, even as we fully know. In heaven, there's no secrets. You won't want to hide it anymore. You're happy to expose it because it doesn't make you on display as, oh, aren't they terrible? All the negative in us points to how amazing the Lamb of God is for saving us when we didn't deserve it. No one gets into heaven because they deserve it, folks. End of. No one's good enough for heaven. You go to heaven, your rubbish is on display, and it causes his glory. <laughs> Say, wow, how did I get here? No idea, but thanks be to Jesus. <laughs> Exposes the secrets of our heart, but in such a way that it edifies, strengthens, encourages, comforts. So if you folks have got fledgling gifts of prophecy, but you're a negative so-and-so, and may God bless you with loads of love. <laughs> may he cause you to love people so much that what he speaks through you is actually of the spirit, not just of what you've discerned. And it's useful.
If you are stuck in your head and you're like, I just can't get past this head thing, may God bless you with the grace to speak in tongues. Have those sort of experiences that show you that he's more than the half bag of sugar that is your brain. (laughs) He's bigger than that and more vital than that. These things are just the normal inheritance of the church. We should eagerly desire them, Paul says, over and over again. Um, So eagerly desire them, ask for them, and start to use them in love. And if you start to use them, quickly you get from uh, Charismatic Gifts 101 to 201, 301, 401, 501, 601, 701, 801, 901, 1001. And they're all accessed to different layers by the one overarching gift of all, the gift of loving the people around you more than you love yourself. May God bless his word to us and inspire us on our journey to go deeper with him. And just anyone who's like, oh, I'm too rubbish for this or it's not for me. May God deliver you from your self-indulgent inward-lookingness and enable you to see that it's about him, not about you. And your weakness is just the access point for his grace. You don't have to be strong for this or special for this. You just have to ask for this and step into this. Amen.